What is going on, everybody? It is Gage and Brock here, back with another podcast, uh, Tiefling Talks podcast, for that matter. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hope you guys are having a good day. Yeah, you know, um, hopefully everyone's staying safe and everything. Hold on, I gotta open up this, uh, there we go, commemorative beer. I mean, pop, uh, so. Non-distinguishable uh, drink. Yeah. Um. So something I wanted to kind of touch up on, and I know we talked about it a little bit before, is uh, kind of getting a plot of land for your players. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of players want to set up something like a, a base camp or something to actually return to instead of just being like hobos walking around and sleeping in taverns all the time. They have to have somewhere to like kind of settle down, call home, return to. Right, right, definitely. And, you know, whether it's a keep or a settlement, a village, um, you know, some type of deal, um, you know, really what as a player, I guess, from a player's kind of vision and viewpoint, what's what's the most fun to run with? What, is, what, what do you like the most? Just having a keep or do you want to manage a village and go through all the tasks that that may kind of bring with it? I think that really depends on the type of game, like uh, the game that you're running where there's a lot of other aspects going on. We have to worry about like world politics and stuff that really opens up like the the rest of the world to interact with as far as like creating trading relations with other villages and stuff like that versus something like our uh, our Friday game where it's mainly about combat with a little world building in there and um, just like tying into specific players backstories. I don't really feel like a long, like an in-depth uh, town building set or like settlement building section would really fit. Right. Um, you know, especially with uh, the Friday sessions where me and you play as players. Um, one thing that uh, I noticed is like, you know, we, we got that town in the initial start and we became deemed lords and ladies uh, of the town, nobles, if you would. However, we haven't really, after the first couple of sessions, we haven't had any, like, touchback back on that anymore. And so that's kind of, uh, you know, a little sad in my eyes because I do kind of like that aspect of trying to build uh, something run down or um, demolished or diminished back up. Um, I think that's where my love for a lot of these simulator games that are coming out now uh, is coming from because you always start out with, like, a rundown gas station or a rundown farm and you've got to like fix the farm up and then you can start like actually making something cool out of it. Yeah, I definitely hear what you mean. And that is a lot of fun too. There's tons of different stuff. Like you were mentioning the, the old farms, old garages, stuff like that. There's just a, a sense of pride and accomplishment in being able to successfully bring something back that others had given up on. Right. And, you know, that's that's something that I wanted to use more in my Sunday campaign that I ran for everyone. Uh, the only problem was that it was on a time limit, so there was only so much you could do. But it's definitely something I want to get a longer running campaign going for and kind of not have it be the main reason, but definitely have it be something that eh, you guys are tired of doing main quest lines or dungeons and stuff. So you guys come and you guys hang out for three sessions and you guys just work on building up your town, your settlement. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, like, I know we were talking about earlier running, like, a, a tavern simulator or something, just like those games that you were mentioning before. And that definitely would be a lot of fun to run something like that, especially with, like, the the prior knowledge of knowing that's exactly what this game is going to be about so we know what to expect and know what to, to bring in. Right, you know, and uh, I'm actually playtesting a little bit uh, with the uh, uh, tavern shop simulator type of deal where it's there's no adventuring or anything like that. It is basically just a simulation of running a tavern. Um, obviously, I want to change it up to allow you guys to um, do other stores as well, uh, alchemist shop, magic shop, uh, you know, blacksmith, whatever you guys really desire to do. Um and it's the challenge is finding a good balance for multiple players because really it it could be a one-on-one -on -one type of campaign, but I want to make it to where everyone can contribute. And I think that's where the biggest challenge is coming into play. Oh, 100%. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a topic for another day is these single-player campaigns because 
they can be a lot of fun, but D&D is traditionally a multiplayer game. So where does one-on-one games fit into this uh, this RPG world? Do they really have a place yet? Right, you know, and it, I, I think that's... It, there was just this stigma about it, about you just being one DM and playing with one player. Like, you know, I, I guess people just didn't care to do that. It wasn't worth their time, you know, whatever be the case. But... I really wouldn't mind if I literally had a personalized session for me like that. That's a, that's the coolest sounding thing to me. You know what I mean? I would I, I would love that. Oh, absolutely. I actually had the chance to do this with a uh, with a friend a while back in the traveler system. Uh, we ran a one on one session for a couple of months. And albeit it was slow at times because, you know, I'm not one for talking a lot, but you know, when things got moving, it was a quite a lot of fun because you could really get personal with what the game's contents were really going to be. You didn't have to uh, to go along with things that you weren't particularly interested in, per se. You could be like upfront with the DM and say, hey, this is the kind of stuff that I really like from the game and grow from there. Right. You know, instead of trying to make compromises and everything, the game is specifically built for you. And there's nothing to stop you from um, either a creating additional characters to have in your group. So that way you do have that sense of a, a group mentality. And this way, all your characters are singular mindly focused on completing the same task. So none of them are going to hinder you from completing those tasks um, versus um, the other option also being that the DM puts an NPC in there. And while it is a little challenging running with another NPC, I find it really fun to have another NPC there to at least at the very least support the group because, you know, then I do in a sense get to play a little bit of Dungeons and Dragons as a player um, as I'm DMing, you know, and it, it kind of makes it a little bit more interesting for me and it allows me to interact with the players in a way that helps me better uh, project my uh, ideas or what this situation actually is because you know there's a lot of times that that translation from dm to player gets lost so having a dmpc in there helps out a lot because you know then the party can turn towards them and be like what does this mean and you know he's not gonna i'm obviously not gonna have my dmpc outright say what the answer to the puzzle is or anything but i'll have him sit there and be like uh i think it has something to do with crossed letters or something you know yeah, funny you should mention it, because actually that was uh, one of the characters in that Traveler campaign, because I had wanted to play like a more a stealth-based approach as a mercenary, and so the DM introduced a character that could act as a frontliner and as a guide and stuff like that, but still took like a backseat role to be able to let me explore the world, but still provide the support that I was missing, not having a party. Right. And I, I just think that too many people get this idea that a one-on-one is the worst experience. And there are a lot of people out of there out there that, yeah, no, they definitely prefer the groups. It helps them, you know, um, open up a lot more. But there are definitely a lot of people who are um, uh, shy, you know, or intimidated by the fact that there's large groups. And it actually makes it harder for them to open up and RP their character more. Yeah, and it definitely is a shame because there is a lot of scenarios where that's the it's a player that's like repressed but is really fun to be around. Um like uh Nick in our campaign, for instance, using their character name, of course, uh was a friend of another player, uh Matsui, and uh was brought in a lot later in the campaign and played a character who had amnesia and like actually had not really a backstory but more like a uh, an adventure behind this character that we were able to unlock but it just took time for her to get comfortable with us and kind of like be open to trying out these uh and like getting used to our group's chaotic nature and stuff like that right right and i i think i remember talking to uh nick and uh so just out of context uh nick irl is a uh, a female and she plays a male and uh, in the campaign. And she actually told us that the reason why she did this is because she was actually terrified. You know, this is not the first time she's ever played D&D, but I, I think she said it was like a relatively still new experience for her. And she wasn't sure going into this being one of only two uh, girls in the game that, um, you know, playing a girl character, what exactly was going to happen and stuff. And 
you know, um, she actually talks about it now. And she's like, yeah, you know, honestly, I wish I did play uh, a female character. Um, and our game has had a lot of uh, like substitutions for characters. Um, I can think of three off the top of my head of characters just swapping out. Um, my characters came in in uh, Hamilton. Um, your characters, Gage and Vol, and okay, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was just two. Um, no, uh, uh, Cat and Drac. Yes, you're right, Cat and Drac. Um, and they all had their own reasons for having to dip out of this game. Cat uh, and Drac was uh, the first character. Catherine Kettleby was a very law-abiding, like enforcer type character. Did not was, work um, with our playstyle at all. Oh we were God. chaotic, stupid. Yes, and well, we still are, but uh, we're chaotic, stupid, but like pointed in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Morally yeah, right, um, chaotic, stupid. Yeah, we do. We try to be chaotic, good. It just doesn't always work. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we had that character. Like all of these characters had a reason for stepping out. Um. Of course, Gage for reason that he just like exploded yeah killed himself um, saved the party yeah that was uh hard on the party to say the least yeah um and that that, that just to touch up on that for just a quick second uh that whole thing was it wasn't planned but i felt like it was also a good move just going forward because uh something that i actually uh found out uh, later on, but I had already had like intuition about, I guess, um, was that yes, Gage was the face of the party right off the bat, leading the party. But I felt like Gage was also taking the um, the pressures off of the party to actually speak up and have their turn to talk and stuff like that. And it's not like he wasn't he was stopping anyone from talking. It's just nobody felt like they should step up and talk because they always had Gage there to talk for them. So I think in one aspect, it was actually nice that Gage kind of went away and I brought in a, a backseat character who just sits in the shadows. Sure. And I think Cayman kind of had a similar predicament. It's certainly not as much. Um, yours was a much more moral cause to bring in uh, Gage, but um, taking the pressure off in combat as well. Having right. somebody who could just sit on the front line and you didn't really have to worry about healing him, didn't have to worry about like anything, basically. He just did his own thing. That's not really healthy for a party dynamic. Like there's gotta be some kind of drama, some kind of like pressure. Right. To push people to kind of open up and really step into their characters and roles you can't um even if they're not willing to do it and they and you know, they're not speaking up, you have to recognize that they're you obviously don't want to make them uncomfortable, but you don't want to make them comfortable in the sense that they can just constantly rely on you to do all the talking or you to do all the fighting. No, definitely. Yeah, there's got to be some sort of party balance and, you know, helping these other people. Going back to the Nick predicament, um, having her able to, like, take a more forward role, especially interacting with the few characters that actually were in her backstory that really was helpful in kind of fleshing out both her as a player and her as a character. Right. Right. Um, and that's, that's kind of one of the other aspects of that is that, you know, when you have too much of something for your character, it's typically a bad thing because that means that your character, yes, excels in this one area, but it means that you're overshadowing the opportunities for every other person in your party to do something. Definitely. Like, um, for instance, if you're trying to infiltrate a town that's uh, taken over by hostiles or something like that, and yes, I'm taking notes from our Sunday game, uh, having just one rogue there, they're really the only ones that can go in stealthily to take care of this problem. So it kind of creates a dilemma there of the other characters just having to idly wait while the rogue goes and does his rogue things. Right. And, you know, that's not to say that each character doesn't deserve their moment in the spotlight, but it's also with a grain of salt of, okay, well, what are they going to do? Go in there and take out the entire town, come out like you're not going to have everyone sitting there 
the entire time or B have them run in with the rogue and reveal the rogue's position. So you got to find a good balance between giving people their moments, but also making sure that all the moments don't go to that person. Yes, definitely. And uh, kind of rotating back around to uh, what we were originally talking about um, encampments and kind of just owning a piece of land. You know, uh, the biggest thing is trying to find something that the party all is going to be comfortable with and then something that everyone can contribute to. If you think that owning a settlement is going to be too much, I think that a keep is probably more along the lines of, hey, just a place to go back, relax, hang out, do our thing. Yeah, that would certainly allow for some level of like the home feeling that we were kind of shooting for without the pressure of now there's expenses you have to worry about, like owning a home or something like that. It's right. the, the argument of renting versus owning, basically, right. for real homes. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like without or I should say with uh, having a keep instead of a kind of plot of land. You no longer have to worry about, okay, what am I doing with this land? Am I going to farm it, make money off of it? Am I going to set up shops? Am I going to do this, that? Whereas with a keep, you know, if your game is primarily focused on, you know, going out, adventuring, looting, dungeons, missions, stuff like that, then it keeps perfect. It's fine. Uh, you know, you could even get a little, uh, you can upgrade it to a castle or whatever, you know, um, or just like a building in town that has six rooms and stuff like that. Uh, but you know, keep it something similar to that. You always just want to look at what your players are looking to do, um, initially, you know, and that's something that should be addressed in the beginning is, Hey, uh, are you guys just going to be interested in playing the game for the loot, the dungeon, stuff like that? Or are you guys looking to really invest into the world? Um, and you know, obviously keep up to date with them, ask them questions frequently, uh, as the sessions go on to, Kind of make sure they're still in the same space because, you know, everybody's opinions change as time goes on. Yeah, that's definitely uh, something a lot of DMs that I've seen, unfortunately, miss is, you know, some DMs, they'll run like the session zero. That's the big thing here is a lot of DMs will run a session zero, but they'll make it all about character building. They'll make it all about one or the other instead of making characters that fit into this world that fit into the narrative or making a narrative that fit around the characters they're self-inserts like running into a mod or running a module of some kind right where it's just the one dimension of okay your character encounters this pre-written thing what does it do as opposed to why would it do this what ties does it have to the world yeah and that uh that's what kind of I'm not going to say I pride myself on doing that. It's not something I do often or not something I don't do often. Um, but that's why I like during session zeros, the first half of it, yes, it's towards teaching you how to use the programs I use. It's towards um, getting to know the characters a little bit, um, helping work on characters. And then the second half is we play for an hour and a half. Um, this allots enough time to kind of step into the role of your characters taste a little bit of combat perhaps and then um you know wrap it up with some more uh role playing to kind of get a sense of your, these characters because once i have a sense of these characters i can then kind of look at it and be like okay cool so tell me a little bit more about what you want your character to do what kind of city were they from what kind of personality do they have what was this that and then from there i craft a backstory giving you the name of the, your town where you grew up, who you were friends with. And then from there, you can kind of fill in the details. So, you know, for instance, uh, uh, one of the my players reached out and was like, hey, yeah, you know, I'm I'm a half elf, but uh, I left my my uh, my race family to go and stay with humans in a town. Then I figured that wasn't for me and I wanted to stay in the woods. Um, do you got anything for that? And I'm like, yeah, of course, a hundred percent, you know, I'm always going to find a way to make your character fit into the world or make the world kind of fit around your character. Cause that's part of it. You know, I'm telling a story. Yes, but this is your story. When you're playing it, you are living this. I want you guys to feel like you guys have a stake in it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Cause uh, a character without like an invested player behind it is just empty. There's, there's not a character there anymore. It's just a character sheet. It's just 
words on a piece of paper. There's no emotional investment behind it. There's no drive. There's no fear for the character. None of that. You lose what makes a role-playing game a role-playing game. Right. And, you know, that's that's something that I just, I could never stand is, you know, when I've got people that I'm just talking, you know, normal, everyday people that are in the game and, you know, they're on their phone or whatever. It means that, A, that they are either not invested or there's not, like, a big enough connection for them. Or, B, it means that they are the type of person that, if it's not all about them, they just don't care. And those are the type of people that probably would benefit the most from the one-on-one campaigns. Yeah, and there definitely is a type of person that would much prefer the one-on-one campaigns. But they should stick to one-on-one campaigns as opposed to doing the 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 wow words um as opposed to doing the usual 5e experience of being a team player and just pretending to fill that role just be who you actually are instead of trying to fill a role that you're not because then you're hurting everybody in trying to do that right definitely you know when you're when you're sitting there and you're constantly having to ask oh what'd you say what was this what happened you know and you're not paying attention because either you're not invested or it's just there's not enough you time in there then you are subtracting from the group as a whole because yeah the group wants to move on and do other things but they're constantly having to backtrack for that one player and i'm not saying that you know you're a bad player and you should never play dnd I think you should look for something a little bit more personal, something a little bit uh, more um, kind of working hand in hand with what you are looking for from a Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop uh, game in general experience. You know, I definitely believe that um, everyone can find something they love. You just got to look for it. And, you know, if it's not right for you, there's no reason to be mean or hostile or anything, Um, you know, just simply be like hey it's not working out for me i'm just gonna look for something else i want to thank you for your time move on you know there's there's no hard feelings there should never be hard feelings with a player comes or goes uh playing in any type of campaign or session because you know it's a game you're here to have fun right and if you're not having fun then playing the game is just it goes back to being a detriment to everybody because we were all trying to have a good time and one player kind of being a drag on the rest of the party, it just doesn't fit. It doesn't work for everybody. It creates, again, a scenario that nobody wants to be a part of. Right. You know, and I I get it. There is what they call the Matt Mercer syndrome and stuff like that. And it's you got to take it with a grain of salt. Matt Mercer's great DM, love his content, love when uh, he does his sessions and stuff. But that's not what these standards should be. That is not what you should expect going into a campaign. You should not expect your DM to give out every sound effect. Like, you hear the clashing of a thousand men as they march across the battlefield. You know, like, that's... Don't expect that from every DM because there are a lot of new DMs. There are a lot of people trying to fill roles of DMs that weren't previously privy to thinking they were going to be a DM until their group was like, we can't find one. You want to be DM? And so there's a lot of people trying to fill these roles to make it a fun game to play. You know, um, so just keep that in mind. Take it with a grain of salt. You know, yes, if you come from a certain source, um, double check. Look at other sources because no dm is the same you will hardly ever find two similar dms with the same play styles the same methods and the same kind of programs and stuff yeah that's honestly the biggest lesson is going into a game with the expectations of another game is not going to work out that just go play your own game at that point right you're trying to imprint another dm style onto your dm He's just there to have fun, too. Right. And at the end of the day, you know, unless you're a professional GM or DM and you're doing it for um, some sort of monetary gain, um, you know, don't sit there and or don't go in there expecting to have some type of way. Because more times than not, the professional GM or DM will tell you up front, hey, this is my GM style. This is kind of how I play. This is what I do. 
um, and you know they'll set the expectations. And from that point on, yes, play through their session zero or their first session, whichever one kind of lets you kind of step into their world. And then from there, decide whether it's a good fit for you. That's what session zero and one are for. It's for that kind of um, fitting and adjusting. You know, it's just like uh, I'm a safety manager in real life, and you know we have to do these fit tests for masks. I'm not going to make somebody wear a mask that doesn't fit because all they're going to do is put their own life in danger. That's very true. It it all comes down to the person and being able to match the game. Right, you know, and there are hundreds upon thousands of tables out there for you to look into and hundreds and thousands of forums to look into. Um if you're cool with a Brock, uh, I can actually send you a link for a few of them. We'll put them in the description below. So that way you you guys can look at the looking for groups uh, forums. And, um, you know, if by some crazy chance the podcast does get big, you know, um, you guys will be able to use that as a reference to find different games to play. You know, you don't always have to pay for uh, an experience. But, you know, when you do that, you're typically paying for something. So those GMs are looking to more tailor fit the game to you guys versus yeah. you guys just going into a free to play game and getting kind of what the DM is trying to do. Yeah. And honestly, the biggest one is going to be where we met r slash LFG r slash looking for game. Yep. It's yep. just a massive community of a lot of like-minded players who just have a love for the game. And that's honestly all you need to get started. You just have to enjoy the game, enjoy the world, enjoy what your DM can put out. It's that's what you're looking for. That's a wholesome game. Right. You know, and you can scour through the forums, find good stuff, find something that matches your play style or maybe matches what your expectations are and kind of just get the ball rolling there. And from there, I mean, you don't really even have to join the game. You can just message the person saying, hey, I'm interested you know, can you tell me a little bit more? Like, you know, ask what their play style is. Ask if um, they're friendly to new players, if they have the patience for new players. You know, a lot of times they'll list it, but if they don't, it doesn't hurt to ask, you know. Yeah, and man, just the people you meet on there really just blow me away because you get a lot of people, unfortunately, who are who can be toxic. But then you get a lot of people that are like us and end up sticking together for arguably too long to be sane. But yeah, no, we're just we're all a little uh, a little dumb and a little crazy, you know. Oh, um, yeah, you'll float too down here. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, we we just all kind of I don't know, all our senses of humor is kind of match up enough. Um, Drek kind of just puts up with it. Uh, but, you know, the rest <laughs> of us are all kind of. Really, really uh, good at uh, making some jokes, laughing, having a good time. And at the end of the day, you know, I would say our Friday sessions are literally 50% playing actual Dungeons and Dragons and 50% making jokes, laughing for five minutes, then getting back to D&D. And that's you guys are the best bunch of idiots I could ever ask for. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I, I wouldn't have wanted any other kind of first big group game for me to jump into Dungeons and Dragons have been uh, no other group could have given me the experience that you guys have and given me um the 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 joy and the the looking forward to Fridays that um the Friday campaign people have well enough gushing about our Friday game let's talk a little bit about the uh, some of the new D&D Wizards of the Coast releases namely the UA that just came out for the Heroes of Kareem yikes uh, yes that was my uh, that was my first impression as well yeah DM uh, yes a Dungeon Masters Facebook group I'm part of um, you know I'm in there to kind of get advice and kind of see what other people are talking about and kind of get like, uh, uh, it also helps with looking at like homebrewed rules that kind of make the world maybe either more realistic or something cool, stuff like that. Um, but occasionally they do talk about new content and one of them posted about it. And the first comment was, I don't think I've seen a single DM yet 
say that they are ready to put this into their campaign. And a lot of negative comments about it under uh, underneath as well, because people are just not uh, that into it. Yeah. On the player's side, I've seen a lot of people who want to run this, of course, because it's stupidly strong. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of balancing would have to go into this in order for it to uh, be be easy for the DM to manage, because it, it's at 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 its face value right now i would say this is the same level if not worse than game breaking as tasha's mm, i wouldn't put it quite as high as tasha's but i will say if you're running any kind of economy in your world short of running prices right out of the books you're gonna have a really hard time with this just because of the new race's ability to just pull stuff out of their asses yeah the kinder aces yes the kinder aces the first ace pull out 5d6 gold that just lasts for an hour it doesn't say that it's any kind of like magically looking gold or anything like that aside from glimmering softly but gold glimmers softly so if you're pulling like a commoner's salary just randomly out of your ass up to six times a day, that could really upset a town, especially if it disappears after an hour. That can right. lead to a lot of very angry shopkeepers. And it, it's totally cool to do this if you're playing some sort of chaotic evil campaign. Sure, rob the town blind of all its currency and really upset the economic balance of things. Um, but man, you. There's not a lot that if you're running with the base gold, copper, silver type system, there's not much that you wouldn't be able to pick up for this amount of gold. Um, you can get, what is that, up to probably, what, 30 gold pieces? No, more than that, right? No, no it is. 5d6 is 30. Yep. Um, yeah, so, you know, 30 gold pieces, considering that uh, what a, a meal is like three copper pieces or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's not much that you wouldn't be able. To, yeah, give me uh, give me this, give me a sword, this and that. You know, there, there's not a lot that you could, or you would be turned away from getting. You know. Yeah, definitely, and that's gonna cause a lot of problems because you're gonna be seen either around town. You're gonna be seen as basically nobility or basically trash, and it all depends on whether you get caught. Right. That's just, it's not a good dynamic to have because every kender, and this is just taking it at face value, making stereotypes like I do. Every kender is going to play a rogue. Every kender is going to be completely edgy. And they're all just going to use this these kender aces. And whatever they pull, like trinkets, a crowbar, a choice from the tools table, it's going to be thieves' tools. Yeah. And you are just going to be the ultimate stealthy thief with this. Right. You know, grappling hook. You can also get one item of your choice from the adventuring gear table in the player's handbook. That's nuts. Yeah, because adventuring gear carries a lot of stuff. And a lot of people underestimate your 10-foot pole, your 50 feet of hemp rope. The basic stuff can really have a large impact if not monitored. Right. You know, and me knowing you being a min-maxer... I know that this stuff, if you take this unchecked, you are going to destroy campaigns with just the amount of overpowered kind of stuff you'll be able to inflate with all these extra little abilities. And that's why I'm glad that we're looking at this now, because if I had taken this before reading it all the way through and seen that, there would have been unfortunate incidents. But yeah, this is warning to any dms who consider running this don't right wait till it gets balanced at least a lot um you know if you really want to try and find your own way of balancing it you know pop it in oh excuse me try it out see what happens but more times than not i'm figuring until this gets balanced there's going to be a lot of, especially if you're dealing with a min-maxer or even a rules lawyer, someone who's able to kind of look and kind of look at loopholes, look at wording, stuff like that. They're going to be able to take this 
and really trash some stuff. Now, I'm hoping that, you know, if you're putting this into an already existing campaign, then, you know, you know all your players well enough to know that they're not trying to actively sabotage your campaign like we do on Fridays. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, that's consensual sabotage. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but uh, if you're planning on running a new campaign with this, I would say run a totally new campaign that you don't mind throwing away after two to three sessions because... You know, let it play out. See what happens. Yeah, maybe nobody runs away with any of these abilities and destroys all the hard work you put in. But in the off chance that they do, it's better to have a short-term campaign to run these through and really see for yourself, hey, that either doesn't work or, hey, I could change this and it would work. Yeah, even if you take your regular group through like a, a pre-written module or something, take them through Storm King's Thunder and allow these just take like i actually personally haven't run through storm king's thunder storm storm king's thunder god in a very long time so i don't quite remember how long it takes but i mean even figure seven to ten sessions that should be plenty of time to work out the kinks in this to be able to introduce it into your main game right yeah definitely and you know um if you want to look at doing maybe some not high level uh games because most games usually Cut off around 15 or so, um, but run something around 10, 12 uh, area so that way you can see what their extra abilities will kind of go towards um, putting in and what they will kind of uh, develop for you uh, later on down the road. Because, you know, obviously you don't want to play for a couple of sessions at level one, get them to level three and be like, yeah, it works. Throw it in. And then, you know, at level six, they get their sixth level um uh, special ability and all of a sudden it's oh my god everything's on fire that town is completely upside down this and that what's the moon doing yeah because i mean here's the thing is pulling off the kender aces table once a day or twice a day rather because it's proficiency or proficiency bonus scaling twice a day shouldn't be like horrible i mean again they're level one and they could pull 60 gold out of nowhere which is it's sizable, but it's something that you could manage by, for instance, adopting a gold-only system like we do in a lot of our campaigns just to make transactions easier and just scale up the costs of everything to match the player's current gold amounts so that this person that's running around with an extra 60 gold on demand or magic items on demand, or sorry, adventuring gear on demand, they're not running away with the game and having everything tied to whether their abilities up. Right. You know, and that's something else you got to look at is, you know, you are effectively eliminating uh, a, a decent chunk of the starter kind of, Oh, let's go risk our necks for, you know, 25 gold in this goblin cave or whatever, you know, grabbing a couple of crap weapons. We might be able to sell instead. You're just going to have your Kender go, all right, here's uh here's 30 gold pieces or here's 60 gold pieces. And it's like, okay, well, do you guys still want to do the... Nope, we don't want to die. And it's like, uh... uh yep, you do? lose your character drive. That's massively detrimental. Yeah, when your Kender can just like, oh, I didn't get my gold today. Oh, no, I'll just take a long rest and I'll try again tomorrow, see what comes out of the prison wallet, like... Yeah, and, eventually you know, they're going to strike exactly what they want. Right, and that's kind of the thing is like loot is always going to be a core driving factor for players in a lot of games. Gold, money, whatever it is, loot is at the center of it. And loot can mean anything. It can mean monetary value. Loot could be um, getting uh, some sort of special item you know, loot could be getting a piece of land. Loot is uh, a, an essential core component of uh, Dungeons & Dragons. Right, it's the reward for the dungeon part of Dungeons & Dragons. Like, you adventure, you get stuff. It's kind of a linear relationship. Right, you know, it's it's like going to work. If there's no incentive to get a raise, then there's no incentive to work hard. You know, there's you you don't get... Um, when they tell you that, oh, well, you're going to be working here at $12 an hour, there's going to be no raises, no bonuses, no nothing. There's nothing to push you to work hard. It just pushes you to do your the bare minimum. And then 
show up and do it again the next day. Whereas, you know, they come in and they're like, hey, yeah, we'll do uh, reviews. You guys get raises at the end of the year and potential bonuses. It's like, oh, shit. All right. I'm going to work hard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my bonus. I'm going to get my raise. Exactly. It gives you a reason to actually try Right. And so when you take away a core aspect, and I'm not saying that this takes away a core aspect, I'm just saying that it lessens the value of loot, which sounds redundant almost, but it's, it is what it is doing. It is lessening the value of loot or what loot holds in the D&D campaign um, or D&D setting. And that's, that's something I've never kind of I'm not going to say I hate or I ban it or anything like that. It's something I never really liked is any type of thing that has to mess with kind of loot in any way, like distort value and stuff. That's kind of pushing it for me. It's not bad, and I can definitely see where it could come into play. But, you know, if you learn that spell and you can cast it uh, quite a few times and you find ways to um, cast it even more, it gets to the point where, yeah, now you guys turn in the plate armor for you know 250 gold it's now 300 gold and you guys keep just rerunning the scam yes there could be consequences um but at the same time it just kind of gets to the point okay well you guys don't actually need to go out and do anything you guys literally just buy this plate armor from the blacksmith and then you go sell it to the general merchant at a 50 gold coin markup you know so like you guys never have the need to go out and do anything else Right, and that has its place in campaigns, like you were saying, like with the uh, like rundown uh, simulators, where if you're running like a resale shop or something in your game, you could absolutely try and use distort value and try and get your business off the ground through these shady means. Right, like it it has its place in campaigns. It just has its place in specific campaigns, and you have to be able to determine how to handle it in games where it doesn't have a good place. Right. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's the big issue is this does not fit normal D and D module kind of stuff. You, you're going to break a lot with just the Kender aces alone. Um, yeah. And that, that, that's very dangerous because which needless to say five E core rule books and everything has already been broken it's a at this point it everyone's gonna have to admit at some point or another that it 5e is broken there's there's really too much unbalanced stuff to make it a effectively challenging and also fun uh experience at this point there are too many um i'm not saying it's bad by any means i'm just saying that the challenge rating, if you will, has gone down significantly. Sure. And that's partly due from uh, like players misinterpreting rules, but it's also partly DMs misinterpreting rules or just completely ignoring them. The biggest one that comes to mind is spell components. And that's one that a lot of us are guilty of. Yeah, is we just yeah. completely ignore that fireball requires bits of bat guano. How right. many shops are really going to be selling bat guano, even if it is used to cast a popular spell? You can't expect everywhere you go to carry this specific turd. Right, and you know, when you're running modules, it's fine and dandy. Typically, it'll tell you exactly what shopkeepers are selling, this and that. But when you're trying to run with the official rules in a homebrew setting, it gets a lot tougher because now you have to keep track of what every shopkeeper has. You have to come up with all of their inventory and everything. And that can be really tedious as well as kind of a hassle when, um, you know, you've got six adventurers walking into your shop and all of them want something different. And now you're trying to be like, okay, well you want this, 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 how many things are you going to sell? Are you selling a hundred different items? Are you selling five different items? You know? So that's where I get spell componing, uh, I guess for a lot of people kind of falls out of practice, which, you know, honestly it shouldn't, and like you said, definitely, um, there are things that both the players and the DMs do that kind of make it easier, obviously. But there are also things that the rule books bring into place, um, such as the um, customizing your origins and stuff from Tasha's that really can give it a broken uh, type of easiness. 
Yeah, definitely. And Tasha's is the the main culprit, of course. But man, even back in like Xanathar's and stuff, introducing um, let's see here, Clockwork Soul is yep. going to be a big example. Yeah. Um, from Tasha's, the Graviturgy and Chrono or Chronergy Wizards. Yep. Um, let's see. There's just so many instances over and over. And of course, UA is released for playtesting, but not everything makes it through UA to be playtested. Not everything's done well enough. Honestly, it's like we say it all the time where 5e is completely unbalanced, but it's been so long that it's been unbalanced that it's something that's expected by now. Yeah, it's part of the norm. Yeah, yeah, just have to roll with the punches at this point. Yeah, and uh, so yes definitely but i also believe that they're kind of getting in this situation where i at least i have not uh heard of sixth edition even being talked about you know um yes i hear rumors and that but i i don't hear any official statements or any hey yeah we're actually working on it or anything like that it seems like they are going to leave 5e as an open-ended kind of segment that they can just keep adding content to um I, for instance, I know uh, one video game publisher that does this, uh, Bungie, who makes Destiny, they do this. They they release the base game, and then they release DLCs for years to come, you know. Um, I think they're on their third, maybe fourth year now of just releasing DLCs since the game launched. Um, instead of just making another one, which, totally cool. But at some point, those DLCs stack up too much, or the books stack up too much to where... There's just too much going on. It would be better if you were to make another edition and build off that edition. Yeah, definitely. I don't know about 5th edition specifically, though, because they have... I mean, the numbers don't lie. 5e has been the most popular edition of D&D by massive margins. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's kind of a good thing, kind of a bad thing, because it does give Wizards of the Coast a sense of... I don't want to use the word complacency, but that's kind of the best way to put it is they're resting on their laurels. It feels like they don't need to, to balance their encounters correctly. They don't need to balance their new UAs correctly because they already have a loyal fan base for this. And quite honestly, we're too lazy to switch to Pathfinder or something like that, or another edition that actually is trying to keep things the way that they were initially intended to be right right you know there's there's too many friendly options that even it's it's hard for the dms to kind of look at and be like yeah no this is garbage you know because there's so many opportunities and options in here that you know for instance me as a professional dm there's no way i'm gonna look at 5e and be like ah this thing's a pile of shit because it brings people in it's open availability and customizability is what draws people into it and you know the uh the ability for people to come in and really just be whoever you want to be is so vastly um enhanced in 5e because of all the brokenness of just allowing extra stuff and different things and different features traits backgrounds this and that there's so much here that you can literally have a thousand people in your game and they will each be different in one aspect or another. You know, there's a chance for each of them to be different, whether it's a different uh, background with a different class or a different race or a different uh, feat. You know, there's just so many options to have different um, tailored characters that really fit what you're looking to play. That's what draws people in is like, they're like, oh, well, you know, is, is it possible to be kind of like a like a uh you know i don't know power ranger for instance yeah sure you come in be a power ranger you dress up in um you know knight's armor you're a paladin you do some cool tricks you get some cool feats you know and there's just there are too many things you could do in this game for instance uh teenage mutant ninja turtles they've got the tortoise race or whatever it's called boom done yep um I'm sure it wouldn't be hard to find a way to make Master Splinter if you really wanted to. Uh, what is it, the Wear Rat or whatever? Yes. And, you know, it's just there's so much customizability with 5e, and it, it draws people in because it's so welcoming in terms of 
um what's the word i'm looking for man i've been trying to think of it uh, uh but basically it's accepting of everyone you know it's accepting of everyone's ideals and uh ideas of creation right and being able to live out your fantasies as like son goku even or like popular like you're saying teenage mutant ninja turtles just play a monk turtle the way the kensei for the various different weapons that they use like it's it's handed to you on a platter basically there's so many people that make content that's just dedicated to how would you build x character in dungeons and dragons there's people making whole video game series of worth of characters in dungeons and dragons there's a channel i know called dorans and dragons that's doing exactly that for league of legends yeah and you know it it's you've got to you got to look at 5e for what it is it has drawn in probably the biggest crowd it is the most welcoming to everyone it is the most accommodating to everyone however it is the hardest thing for a dm to look at in terms of as far as i know at least in terms of the other editions the hardest one to look at and be like hmm what do I have to do to A, balance, and B, create an interesting um, set of encounters, whether it's RP or even uh, combat encounters? What do I have to do? What work do I have to do on my end to make it engaging for my players? Yeah, and keeping the engagement of the players with all of these different unique um, character concepts behind them where somebody who's playing a character that's based around going back to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ideal, maybe they're just trying to protect their home or something like that, uh, versus a character who's playing somebody based on, say, I don't know, the Penguin from Batman or something. And they're there, they just thrive on chaos. And it's all these different people. And they're different backstories, they're different ways of playing. And having a DM that can incorporate something like that it's few and far between right and it, it it's tough you know it's tough to find a good balance because um you know just like uh quid one of the people that was in our friday sessions that you know um we actually had to ask to leave uh just because it wasn't working out and uh difference in kind of the way we were trying to travel it's tough um that's why you know i always encourage people to Never be mean and never feel like anyone's trying to be mean when they ask to leave a campaign or, or get asked to leave. Um, because at the end of the day, everyone's just looking for the best table for them. And you can't sit there and actually you can sit there and just deal with it and trudge along. But I never want that for anyone. I never want anyone to come into my campaigns and be like, hmm, this really sucks. I'm going to stay here. You know, I, I don't want that. You know, if my playstyle is not working for you, if the group dynamics not working for you, yeah, ask me to leave or ask if I have any suggestions for other games or other times. Um, you know, I am always welcome with helping uh, people find other games. You know, I, I'll give them recommendations on sites they can go to, what to look for, what they are looking for, and where to go to find that. Yeah, and as much as it may not feel good initially, whether you have to ask to leave or whether you ask to leave, it's it's for the best in the long run for everybody. And it just comes down to you have to be able to accept the criticism that somebody's going to give you. Right, and that's that's the hardest thing, at least for me, is because I never want it to feel like it's a personal attack because we're not. We're not trying to attack. We are literally trying to find a experience for you that works because i want you to enjoy enjoy dungeons and dragons i want you to go out and have fun playing these um rpg tabletops i want you to have your moments in the sun i want you to get into role playing and stuff like that i want you to have a love for the game like i do but if you're not finding that at my table of course i'm gonna have to try and help you find another table or ask you to leave so that way you have the opportunity to go out and search for another table you know um but that's the biggest thing is communicating that. Um, as long as the DM, which I'm not saying DMs are infallible and perfect, there are a lot of bad apples out there as well. You know, there's even more good DMs, more friendly DMs. 
but there are a few bad ones, so you got to kind of gauge the situation um, as it is. But reach out to your DM more times than not. They will be more than happy to work with you to figure things out because, you know, that's the biggest thing that we try to teach as a community as whole is we're here to be friends, be friendly, help each other out and figure things out together because at the end of the day, it's a game. We all want to have fun. We all want to involve ourselves and contribute to it. Yeah, not only is it a game, but it's a team game between yourself and the DM, yourself and the other players. You're all working towards a common goal. You're all just here to have fun. Right, you know, and, you know, you're here to have fun, to tell a story, to have memories. And you can't have that if you just aren't engaged or you're just not having fun. You know, like, uh, there's nothing to it. You know, I will never ask somebody to leave because I hate the player. There will be times I will ask them to leave because, you know, obviously it's not working out, uh, you know, conflict of whatever. But I, I, you talk to me. I will be more than happy to try and help you find another game. If you talk to me, I'm more than happy to sit down and talk to you and say, hey, this is what's not working out. This is why you're clashing with the players. Why are we clashing? And, you know, I'll get a sense from where you're coming from. And I'm more than happy to work with you. I'm more than happy to change my uh, my gaming style or my uh, DMing slash GMing style to help better fit what works for you and the party as a whole. But you got to realize it is not just one. We are all the sum of our parts. Right. Everybody's here working to have fun. And you have to be willing, more, arguably more importantly, you have to be willing to give your opinion, but you also have to be willing to receive an opinion too. It's, right. it's a two-way street. And a lot of times, you know, from a DM, GM standpoint, it feels like I don't want them to feel like I'm attacking them, but it makes me feel bad because I hope they don't take it that way. Um, because that's not, not what I'm trying to do. I, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person that anytime I have to be confrontational, I start getting nervous. I feel bad because I don't, I don't want to be confrontational, confrontational with anybody. You know, I don't want to, you know, tell somebody that, Hey, you're not working out with the party. Get the hell out. You know, I don't want to, don't want to be in that boat. I never want to be in that boat, you know? It's always the most, like, terrifying thing for me. But as a DM slash GM, that is my job. I am the facilitator. I am the judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to rules and everything else, you know? Um, yeah, a rule says one thing, but, you know, for instance, in my games, I play as rules interpreted, so I look at it. It may say something, but I may fucking think about it differently in my head. So I then go and turn around, and I'm like, nope, it, it, we're going to go with this because... It's going to make the game flow better. And that's something I, I tell everybody is I play as rules and interpreted, meaning I read it, how I think it goes is how it goes. And then afterwards, you're more than welcome to reach out to me. We'll correct it, make sure it's different for next time. But, you know, the flow of the game, I want it to keep going. I want everybody to keep uh, staying engaged and stuff. And I'm not going to sit there for 10 minutes and debate something. Right. Everybody's got to have a chance to to have fun. And if you're stopping every five minutes to go and check a rule then that can stop some people from having fun. So it's really important to not only preserve the fun of the players, but the flow of the game. Right. And, you know, it's, I'm not going to say it's impossible because there are a lot of more diehard fans of D&D than me. Um, but it is very hard and very unlikely you are going to find a DM that knows every spell, every rule, every word. It's just, it, it's not going to happen. The The chances of that are super, super uh, slim. And, you know, even when you see these people on YouTube talking about, oh, yeah, you know, this spell does this, this. They have all of that stuff looked up and written down so that way they have it prepared. You know, there's very rarely, with so much content being in 5e, very rarely they know every little detail about everything. So, yes, a lot of times the DM's going to look it up, look, go for the ruling that they believe is red and move on from there. Yeah. And if you want your little, your sense of proof of this concept, look at critical role. They're a perfect example. You have like the, the Matt Mercer effect on full display in there with the Matt Mercer. And he's constantly like, he'll have a really good idea of what stuff does, but he's constantly asking his players, Hey, what does that do? Hey, what's the range on that? Like, he's been playing for a very long time and has a very good grasp of the rules. 
nobody's perfect, especially not people who are under pressure. Like the GM has to take care of his own monsters and everything. And he's trying to help you run your own characters just to keep everything moving uh, like cohesively. Right. You know, there's, there's a lot to consider the, the conditions that certain monsters are under, you know, for instance, what I do in my campaigns is if you guys hit a crit, but it's not enough to kill them outright, you guys chop off a limb. So now I've got to take into account that they no longer have a leg, so they're going to have to crawl, meaning they get half movement. Or they no longer have an arm, so they can't take the second attack. And so that's stuff I say out loud to the players even sometimes because a lot of times I will forget the next time it comes around. There's there's going to be an instance where I forget that that monster no longer has two attacks because, yeah, I write it down in my notebook, but a lot of times I'm staring at my screen trying to figure out the next move for the other five monsters. So right. uh, it, don't don't make a habit of correcting the GM, but, you know, when they do say something, be like, oh, hey, you did say that they have only one attack now, right? And, you know, when my players say that to me, I'm like, oh, yep, you're totally right. Uh, yeah, scrub the last attack. Uh, he doesn't hit. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm totally cool with that type of play uh, style. But when it comes into play where um, I'm looking at it and I look at Firebolt and I'm like, Okay, well, it doesn't say it has any disadvantage range, so there's no disadvantage. Another player's like, well, all magic range has disadvantage. And it's like, okay, dude, I, I'm not going to sit here and argue with you. It, from what I'm looking at, Firebolt literally just says 120 feet. It does not say anything about disadvantage on the spell itself, so there's no disadvantage at 5 feet. Right, and even if it does say disadvantage on something, generally it's the DM being helpful towards the players with these rules, not opposing. So why are you trying to hinder your own party's performance? Like, right. It's all for the common goal. Just to help your fellow player by going along with it. Yeah. And to, to break the kind of wall that everyone has where the dice decide everything. That's not always true. A lot of the times the DM will decide everything. They fudge and dice rolls or whatever it may be. Because at the end of the day, he does want you to win. He does want you to have that victory. But, you know, in my instance, I want you guys to work for it. I don't want you guys to instantly go in and four crit kill my boss like uh, someone I know, <coughs> Vern. Um, but, you know, I want you guys to go in, hit him, get hit, and have a battle. You know, have, have a, a tough brawl. And then, you know, when I feel it's right, that's when I throw the monster at you guys to follow his knees and you guys decapitate him because at the end of the day i want you guys to have fun i want you guys to win i am on your side you know so if you know for instance when i put a monster in there that has multi-attack if it's a cr3 and you guys are only level two i put him in there because i'm going to change obviously some of the stuff he does and something i have seen not in my campaign but in a campaign i uh watched over was Someone was like, wait a second, uh, I believe it was the Imp. Um, so the Imp, which is a, a monster I actually use in my Silver Dawn campaigns, um, they said, oh, well, the Imp does 3d6 damage when they fail their con save or whatever. And the GM at this point was like, well, I changed it a little bit because I don't want you guys to take 3d6 damage right off the bat, you know, because you guys are like, uh, I think they were like level three or four. Um, and because that would literally wipe almost half their health, uh, with 3d6, not to mention they become poisoned and everything else. So I, you know, I, I was watching as this DM and this player just went back and forth about it. And I'm like, whoa, that's, that's an instant violation. That's a no, no. Yeah. And not only does confrontation like that, it it creates a negative like feeling for the players. It also just grinds everything to a halt. It breaks their immersion. You're there. You're in your character. You're feeling this combat. You're scared for your life. There's no pause button. You don't have time to argue with the, the person who's about to take, like has this gun to your head and is about to blow your head off. You don't have time to discuss, wait, you have disadvantage holding a gun to my head. Right. Try doing that in real life. It's not going to work. Right, you know, and that's that's kind of that real sense of involvement and um, interest and just being into the game is, you know, boom, 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 keep going, keep it rolling, you know, don't sit there and argue with your DM, you know, 
yes after the session be like hey you know i noticed you did this is that correct you know i'm just trying to make sure and then yeah if you've got a good dm i will say he will admit to oh i didn't know that let me look it up let me uh make note i'll make sure to remember that for the next time this or that or he'll give you a reason oh yeah uh you know that's that's intentional that was something i was doing and then at least you get your closure and um you know you guys can work it out obviously the biggest thing is be polite be respectful um know that you know it's just another person at the end of the day trying to have fun same as you yeah that's it all comes down to it's not the dm versus the players it's the dm plus the players you're there to have fun just let you guys have fun don't worry about it right um i will say that there will be instances where the dm is definitely going to challenge and test you he's not trying to be against you he's just trying to make it engaging enough to where you don't get bored with the you hit they hit you hit they hit you hit they hit end combat you know there's there's a lot that goes into kind of creating an engaging combat experience you know um you know one of the big things is Oh, well, it doesn't just have to be combat. A lot of the times it is just combat because a lot of people just want to fight. There's no really alternatives. It's really tough to create some type of chase map. You know, there's there are alternatives out there, but it is really tough to pull off. Um, and it's really tough to do alternatives. So that's why it always it's a nice flavor when the DM steps in and is like, oh, yeah, go ahead and make me a whiz save. And everybody's like, <gasps> you know, that's that's kind of. A big deal you know and that's that's where kind of being intuitive with combat kind of comes into play but i think that is all the time we have for this podcast so i guess we will uh end it here is there anything you want to plug at the end of this brock um not really i think we covered everything pretty well um yeah, I think the final note really is just if you're going to take something away, it's communication between you and your DM, between you and the other players. You have to be able to talk things through to be able to progress the game. Just be there. It's another person. Try and have fun. Right. Yeah. Politeness and uh, communication are the biggest assets that you can have. Um, but uh, yeah, dude, I don't know. You want to plug anything in terms of like uh sites or anything subscribe to the youtube channel um yes definitely the youtube channel i'm sure we'll have this up on spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts um we try to bring you content as weekly as possible we're not going to get to it every week we're not perfect but we'll sure try yeah you know and if it starts becoming a a thing and people want to see more then obviously we'll try and probably see if we can make a more steady schedule of it um i guess the only other thing i would uh put in is i'm still looking for people to fill other sessions i have so uh i guess brock i'll send you the link and then you can put it in the description if you're cool with that um uh for my start playing uh go ahead check it out look and see if there's any um anything you're interested in or any uh time slots that look interesting you i run all types of games but uh, yeah, thanks for stopping by, everybody. Uh, it's been another Tiefling Talks podcast with Brock and Gage, and uh, we'll see you for the next week. Hope you guys have a good week.